you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Okay, well, uh, yeah, like Nick said, it's, it's really good to be in front of people. Uh, again, real life people and not just uh, a camera. It's just, I don't know how YouTubers do that full time. That just seems like craziness to me, but um, I'm really thankful that uh, we get to have, have people together, be able to listen to the sermon. Um, my name is Justin, and uh, I, uh, usually I've, I've noticed I have a pattern of telling everybody how excited I am to share the message that I'm going to share when I start. Um, and I think God has been getting me more and more excited, but I'm, I'm being really honest. Um, for the last like week and a half, two weeks, I've not been super excited about getting up here today and, uh, and sharing this. Um, and uh, to kind of explain that or illustrate that a little bit, uh, and, and to me, I'm just really holding on to the promise that, that Jesus is glorified in our weakness. Because uh, this is something that I feel like it's, it's an area for me that I'm really uh, weak in. Uh, one of my sinful bents is towards kind of passivity. And, and being, I, I, I hate conflict. I hate confrontation. I hate conflict. Um, I love, and I've seen the benefits on the other side of, of conflict when, when people work things out and how, how that brings closeness and how that brings solid community. Um, but I really struggle at uh, initiating conflict. I really struggle at, at resolving conflict well. And um, it's just not something that I, I enjoy doing. It's not my... Uh, just not my personality. And the Lord's been, been working on that with me, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. So even if I'm not like the most excited uh, to share this with you today, I'm thankful to be able to share this with you today. Um, and, and part of that is just the way that God lined all of this up. Um, the, the passage we're going to be talking about today, I think, speaks uh, tr- tremendously, insightfully, into the, the climate that we find ourselves uh, in, in America, at least today. Um, and it's not something that I picked. If I was picking the topic, I would not have picked this section of, of, uh, of uh, Scripture. Um, so when Nick asked me a few weeks ago to preach, and I said yes, this is before we were in the, the state that we're in, in now. So I want you guys to understand that. This is, this is God working this through. This is not me trying to pick any, any fights. I hope that, that doesn't happen anyways. Um, if it was up to me, <laughs> I wouldn't be preaching about this, uh, but I am excited. I'm really thankful um, that he's made me more excited to get into this because uh, e- even if it does nothing for any of you, it's been really, really helpful, uh, even just for me, to kind of work through these things and be challenged in these ways. Uh, but I do pray, I do hope that it is, is insightful and helpful for you guys. Uh, so if you'd like to, we're going to be in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. Verses 12 through 19. We're going to finish uh, chapter four today. And um, and if you look at if you ha- if your Bible has uh, little uh, what's the word headings on it, uh, yours might say suffering as a Christian. That's what that's what mine has. It's kind of the the name of this section. And so last week, uh, Nick and Ted mm-hmm. were talking and um, going through uh, chapter four, verses one through eleven. And if you look at the beginning of uh, chapter four, uh, it talks about sort of the the reason behind you know why we should suffer, why we should suffer with Christ or as His followers. And I think what Peter ends up doing uh, in this section is kind of 
digging more into sort of the, 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 what specifically we should be focused on suffering about. Kind of, kind of refining what, what it looks like, what we should be sort of allowing ourselves to be suffering for, or choosing to suffer for, if it's a choice. And, um, so, so we're gonna, we're gonna jump into that, um, and the, the thing that gets me so excited about, about this passage specifically is that, you know, we live in a time where there's a lot of division, right? We, we can look on, um, media, whether that's the news or social media, and there's just a lot of polarity between all the different sides. It feels like if you don't have an opinion, um, that's just the right one or just strong enough or you don't say it eloquently enough that, that you're an enemy. It seems like um, people just feel like we can't be uh, friends with each other or, or civil to each other. There's this wall in front of us with social, social media especially that kind of brings anonymity and makes us feel comfortable um, yelling at people or berating people. And uh, this is something that I think we can, we can see the, the strong differences in the, the whole political spectrum. You've got um, maybe like on, on the left, you've got uh, liberals, and on the right, you've got conservatives, and then there's Democrats and Republicans, and you've got libertarians can kind of fall in the middle there, and, and they can be on one side or the other a little bit. Um, and, and then maybe you're, you're at a place where you're like, I don't, I don't know about any of these things, and I'm choosing not to know about any of these things because I don't want to be, I don't want to be involved at all. There's, there's a whole uh, swath of, of different things uh, where we can identify ourselves politically. Uh, and, and the beautiful thing is that I don't think that we should be silent about politics because I think that it was something that happened in Scripture too. And God addressed it in Scripture too. Jesus lived in a time that had a whole swath of ideas of political ideologies. And he, he, he dealt with those and he masterfully answered certain questions. And that's the world that they lived in. And I'm really thankful for that because we have that as an example for how we live today, even though they might not match up exactly the same. There weren't Democrats and Republicans in first century Judaism, um, but there were other groups and we can, we can learn from those things as well. So I'm excited to, to kind of jump into that, uh, today and look into those things. Um, but before we get too far into, into that, I'd like to go through the text itself just to kind of read it, kind of get our heads around what it is we're looking at today. And then I'd like to go through kind of bit by bit, talk a little bit about each um, piece of this verse, uh, or this, this section, and then, um, and then jump into what I think are the implications, the things that Peter is really trying to hammer home, uh, in the spirit of, of Jesus Christ. So I'll start. Uh, I'll just read through the whole thing, and then I'll kind of go back, and we'll we'll go through uh, sort of line by line. So, First Peter, chapter four, verses uh, twelve through nineteen, starting in verse twelve. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. All right, so so this is coming again in, in kind of the, the, the middle of this section. He's, he's, I think, trying to get their attention again. He's calling them beloved. He's calling them a, a, a name that connotes closeness. He, he cares very deeply about these people. He's just um, talking to them about suffering and about kind of the, the, the why of suffering. And then he goes through and talks about how, like, like a body, like a, a group of people, we've been given all these different gifts. And he's encouraging and, and training them and, and how to use those gifts and that they should use those gifts. And so now he's transitioning into this time and he's, he's getting their attention again. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. You know, he's talking to a group of people who, for all of their history, had trials all the time. I mean, you look through all of the Old Testament, and you're going to see that the Israelites faced stuff every single chapter that, that was difficult. They faced things that, that, were, that were trying. Um, they, they were uh, enslaved and, and captured uh, multiple times by multiple different groups of people. Um, they were uh, oppressed and attacked. They went to war with lots of different places. For all of Israelites' history, there was, there was trials. And so Peter, I think, is just encouraging them, like, what's changed? Don't be surprised. You can look back and see that, that every single thing that we've gone through has brought, has brought trials. And so for us, we shouldn't expect anything different. And if we look at the time in which Peter was was probably writing this, we're thinking about uh, the, the the Roman Empire being headed up by Nero, who was like the worst emperor towards Christians that that there was in their history. I mean, this guy was was starting cities on fire and then blaming it on Christians. He was totally um, on board with and and in favor of the oppression of Christians by his people. And so Peter's facing that. He's, he knows his people is facing that. And that's coming from like the, the governmental side. And then the spiritual leaders, the people who are supposed to be leading the people and helping them and, and showing them uh, mature and growing them, uh, were, were also persecuting the early Christians. Uh, the Jewish leaders were, were commanding them, imprisoning them, beating them, and telling them not to preach in the name of Jesus. And so, so Peter, I think, experientially, is saying, don't take this as surprising. This is, this is normal. This is going to happen. And uh, I think he wants, them, he wants them to see that. And then this, this next verse, I think, becomes even more alive when we remember what happened to Peter in the book of Acts. He says in verse 13, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This is something that he experienced firsthand. He was at the temple. He was sharing about who Jesus was, how he was, he was God in the flesh, come to be our Messiah. And people came and they beat him up. They put him in prison and they told him, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And the first thing he did when he, when he got out was he went and he found other believers and they rejoiced. They praised and they thanked God for the opportunity to suffer in the name of Jesus. Peter views suffering as an opportunity to share in something that Jesus also shared in. So he just continues on this point, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So he's making a distinction, right? He's saying, just because you suffer doesn't mean that you're righteous. What are you suffering for? We're gonna, he's gonna refine the suffering a little bit, right? And so he's making the distinction. Don't, don't just say that you're, you're good because you're suffering if you killed someone. Don't say that you're good because you're suffering if you stole something from someone or are doing evil things with whatever good intentions or you're meddling in other people's affairs. He's saying, he's refining it. He's making it very um, exclusive. He's saying the way that you suffer well, the kind of suffering that brings glory to Jesus' name is the kind that is fixated on Jesus, who he is and what, what his name means. And so he just, he just makes that point. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, in the name of Jesus Christ. So as I think about this, I think about, you know, how, how different this can feel from us. We, you know, we're a couple thousand years removed from this. We can feel like there's, there's some vast differences and we can, we can say, well, Peter's not talking about our situation. He's, he's dealing with a different situation. And that's, that's partially true. But there are some things that I want to, I want to illustrate some things I've been really thinking about and, and in my, in my studies this, this last couple of weeks. I've been really um, surprised by and challenged by uh, that I want to share with you guys. And it has to do with the people who, who followed Jesus because Peter was an eyewitness to this. Peter was a guy who was, he was right there with Jesus the, the entire time of his ministry, watching the way he interacted with people, watching the questions that he answered, watching the other disciples who also interacted with Jesus. And then Peter has lots of really awesome growth points as we see through the book of Acts as well. And so when I think about Jesus's group of disciples, his, this, this close ring of people who he called not only his followers, but these, these 12, he called them his apostles. These were, these were people he trusted with his message. He sent them out to share with other people. And there are two people in that, that posse, in that group of 12 that I want to highlight and compare and contrast today. One of them is Simon the Zealot. We don't know too much about Simon the Zealot. In fact, that's about all we do know, is that he was just referred to as Simon the Zealot. And so we have, we have pretty good reason to believe that Simon the Zealot was a member of a group called the Zealots. All right. Now, that group was officially made sometime after Jesus' death, but I, th- I think it's pretty logical. It kind of makes sense that all groups have a founding somewhere. They all start out of some group of people. And there were plenty of people who were doing things that that were qualified as as uh, things that the zealot group would do. And uh, I think we have good reason to believe that Simon was one of these guys. And so Simon, the zealot, is, as, as a zealot, has a, a certain political stance. All right? You're still under Rome, but you don't want to be. And the way that you get Rome out is through violence. It's through um, rioting. It's through killing. It's through stealing. And it's justified in their mind because it's, it's to bring back, bring, the, bring them back to the Israelites functioning as their own group, their own government, governing themselves, doing the things that they need to do. Okay, so it's, it's, it's pretty radical, um, but it's very much uh, focused on, and, and I would say with pretty good intentions. I mean, they just, they want to be free. They want to do 
their thing as Israelites. They don't want to be ruled by somebody else. But the way that they go about it, what the zealots thought was, this is the way to do it. You get your hands dirty in order to make the place clean. And you've got Simon, the zealot. That's, that's what he's called. That's the only title he's given. Follower of Jesus. Apostle of Jesus. You also have a guy named Matthew, who almost all that we know about him is that he's a tax collector. Now, whatever you, whatever you can think or surmise about his background, whether he was a tax collector solely for his own benefit, or whether he thought this is the way that everybody should be, uh, we, we can agree that Matthew had a, some sort of a change of heart when he interacted with Jesus. That he had been at one point kind of lining his own pockets and, and doing things for his own gain before he met Jesus. And then once meeting Jesus, he repents of that and he wants to make it all right. And he decides he wants to follow Jesus too. Because see, the tax collectors had a totally different ideology than the zealots did. They wanted the Romans to be in power. Because as long as the Romans were in power, they had a job. And the Romans required a certain amount of taxes. Um, and, and the tax collectors could take uh, as much as they wanted, as long as they paid the Romans. And they were accountable to no one. So if you owed uh, $50 to the Romans, they could tell you that you owed 70 and you couldn't dispute it. You just have to pay. And you'd pay the 70 and they get to pocket the 20 and they pass the 50 on to the Romans. The Romans didn't care. They just wanted their cut. And so for a lot of the, the tax collectors, they're not, they're not fans of the zealots. They don't want the power back in the hands of their own people. They want the power in the hands of the Romans. They're, they're totally okay with the, 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 the current system because it's, it's benefiting them. It's, it's making things work for them. Um, it's maybe even, even with the good intentions of keeping the peace among the people. And so you have two people. You have Matthew, the tax collector, also called disciple of Jesus, apostle of Jesus, writer of one of the Gospels about Jesus. And you have Simon the Zealot. And you have them. They're in the same group. They're both following Jesus. Now, I'm certain that some things that they thought, and we see this in Matthew already, some things that they did, were probably changed by their time with Jesus. It's not like, you know, they, they uh, just stayed the exact same as they were before coming to Jesus. I'm sure there were things that needed to be worked out. I think Jesus did plenty of teaching that would fly in the face of what the zealots thought. He did plenty of teaching that would fly in the face of what the tax collectors thought. But what brought both of those two together, who I would say is, is probably pretty comparable to today in terms of the, the polarity of those two groups, Right? Even though it's not, not exactly the same in terms of a parallel, the tax collectors could be, could be, are, are the, the farthest difference away from the zealots. They had totally different ideologies about how change was supposed to happen and what they wanted for the people and what they wanted, uh, for, for themselves. And I would say today, we're facing the same thing. We've got people who are on totally sides of the spectrum, totally different sides of the spectrum in terms of what they believe, how things should happen and what they should look like and how much the government should be involved and how many, how many things we should have and whose rights trump whose and things like that. Those are all statements that are out here. And I think we see the same thing reflected in these guys. But these guys walked together. They probably slept in the same room together. I'm sure we have evidence that the disciples argued with each other, so I'm sure these two are probably at the center of some of those things. They shared holiday, holy day 
meals together. And it wasn't a political ideology that put them together. It was a person. It was a man. It was Jesus. Jesus is the one who brought them together. He was the one that they could agree upon. This guy is the Messiah. This is the guy that we need to follow. And I don't know about you. I mean, I I have a hard time kind of thinking about what that would have looked like to other people to see this guy who maybe they knew as a zealot. I don't know if they set themselves apart in some kind of dress. And this other guy who is maybe pretty obviously a tax collector walking together following the same rabbi. That would be pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty radical, I think, for that time. And Peter, man, he was he was seeing this stuff. He was engaging with this, and he was he was interacting with Jesus as Jesus was challenging their views on Samaritans and their views on Gentiles, and uh, things things were changing for Peter. But he got to to witness this, and so I think all of those things kind of come together for Peter. And and he writes about what it looks like to suffer. And so to me, I think the best way I can think to sum- summarize this idea, this, this, this idea that I think Peter is trying to communicate in terms of refining what we should suffer for is that the hill that we should die on, the point we should be so fixated on is the same hill that Jesus died on, Calvary. You know, it's okay to have opinions. It's okay to have different um, uh, things that we even feel strongly about. Political ideals or uh, ways that we we should live civilly with each other. Rights that we should have or should give up. Those are okay. But they're none of them are the hill that we should die on. The, the issue that we need to make the most of, the, the hill that we should be united to, the one that we should die on, the one that we should suffer for, is Calvary. The, the person of Jesus. And, and I love this. I feel like it's almost like this is exactly what Peter was addressing when he wrote this. He said, let none of you suffer as a murderer, be the zealots, or a thief, I'll be the tax collectors. Or an evildoer, or a meddler. This might be the the religious leaders, or people who are just kind of hands off. They don't want to participate in the system at all. But if you suffer, suffer for the name of Jesus. That's it. There's there's no other reason to put yourself in the way of suffering. He he refines it and makes it so it's just this one thing, just the name. Of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the man who humbled himself as as God saw his creation, who was full of murderers, full of thieves, full of evildoers and meddlers, and decided to become like them, to become a human, to live a perfect life that they would not, to die a death that they deserved, and then to rise from the dead, conquer that death, conquer that consequence. And give eternal life to his people. And that's what we see Peter excited about. That's what Peter is pointing towards. This is what we will suffer for. And nothing else. So I think um, as we think through these these things, maybe we ask 
you know, so what do we do, right? Because we're not in exactly the same position. We don't have the same um, political agendas and ideologies and stuff like that. But we all have things, right? I mean, regardless of, of how interested you are in the things you've been hearing or where you feel you are on the side of whatever political spectrum, you have opinions. You know, COVID-19 affected your life somehow. And what's going on with the rioting and the protesting affects your life somehow. You have opinions about it, regardless of how vocal you are or where that goes. Um, so we, we, can't, we can't just tap out and say we're not involved. This doesn't affect us. It does. So I think the thing that we need to really emphasize and hit home, what I'd like for us to do today, is just to take some time and really just get quiet before the Lord. There's just so much noise. We get inundated with, with noise and news and um, more information. I think we probably have enough information. Um, so I, I would just encourage you today, get some time just to be really quiet before the Lord. And, and ask him the question, am I letting whatever party I'm affiliated with or whatever group I think I stand with, whether it feel like it has a name or not, am I letting anything about that bring disunity between me and another believer in Jesus? Am I, am I willing to suffer or die on that hill before we get to the point of, of the person of Jesus. And, and if you're there, or if you've already maybe broken fellowship with, with another believer because of something that they believe that doesn't have to do with the person of Jesus, go back, repent of that, ask for forgiveness, make that, make that right again, and make a commitment that you're not going to do that. I think about Jesus and the night before he died, he had his whole group of disciples together and they share a meal together. I mean, they again represent the whole, whole swath of political ideologies and he has a meal with all of them. They're all together there for him. And he prays for them. But he, he even says in the text in John 17, he says, I don't just pray for these but I pray for everyone who would believe because of them. And for all of us, we can trace our lineage, our spiritual heritage back to those disciples. So Jesus, John 17, is praying for us in this room, in that room, right here. And what he prays, one of the most beautiful things I think he prays, he says, God, Father, I in them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's what he prayed. He prayed that we would be brought to complete unity, which I think, safely, we can imply that means we don't start there. <laughs> we don't start unified by anything else but him, and we, we get brought into complete unity in His name. That's what He prayed for. That's what He wanted. Was unity in His name. Not under a certain, a certain other leader's name. 
not under any other kind of title, but we'd be brought to unity in, in His name. And it's for a purpose. It's not just so we'd all have warm, fuzzy feelings about each other. I think that's part of it. But the purpose is that so others would see that God sent Jesus to them. That others would see that we, as the body of Christ, unified by Jesus, are loved by Him. And that He wants to show that love to other people too. That's the whole, that's the whole purpose. It's the entire reason why I think Peter was sharing this exclusivity on what you suffer for. Because this is the kind of suffering that points people to the love of Jesus. And that's what I think he wants for us today. That's what Jesus prayed for. And I think that means that we have the ability to respond to that. We have the ability to make that happen. We're not going to do that on our own. Obviously, that doesn't work super well. We've got to do that walking in step with him. We've got to do that with him guiding us. And, and we, we need to be radically committed to just dying on the hill that he did, not on anything else that we might have. So take some time today. Ask yourself if, if there's anything in your life that you're, that you're willing to break fellowship over before the person of Jesus. Just ask the Lord to take that away or help you figure it out if it is really something that is that major. And think about what it would look like, man, if we looked like these disciples. Because they still had their problems. I mean, Peter still had issues, right? He still had things that needed to be worked through. We see that in the book of Acts. We see that in Paul's writings. And that's it's okay. But man, when I think about what was happening at, at the beginning, when thousands were coming to the Lord Jesus every day, I'll bet you some of those people, one of the big reasons they came was because they saw Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector and James and John, the sons of thunder, these probably really riotous dudes, and Peter, who seemed like he was kind of foot in his mouth kind of guy. You know, all these people who are totally different from each other, totally unified by one man. I think that's probably what drew them to that group, the person of Jesus. May that be what what we do too. May that be who we point to in our behavior and what things look like for us. Um, I would love if, uh, I, I hope, I, I have strong op- opinions politically about a lot of what's going on today. I hope that that doesn't mess with any of this or muddle any of this. And uh, I've also only been talking for like maybe 30-ish minutes. So I can't explain everything perfectly, I don't think, in that amount of time. And that's not really my intent either. But if you would like to disagree with me, I'm totally open for that. <laughs> I disagree with me a lot of times too. Um, so yeah, I, I would love, I'm totally welcome to that. Uh, or if you want to ask questions about anything that I've said, I'm totally um, free to do that. Um, but right now, let's, let's, let's end just by praying and uh, asking the Lord to bring us to this point. Because He's the one. He's got to do it. He's the one, so it's got to be about. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we have clarity. We don't have to wonder uh, what you think about certain issues, even if they're contextually different than what things looked like in the first century. Um, your word is so powerful and so good that it that it arches over all of that stuff, and it makes it so that we can we can know what you think about it. You've given us the freedom of exclusivity, the freedom to focus solely and purely on on you and who you are, um, and, and that we get to be called disciples of you, 
before we, we fix whatever baggage we, we come in with. You desire for us to change, and we see that in the life of Matthew, we see that in the life of Peter, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm glad that we get to come to the table, we get to eat with each other, uh, based on our mutual belief in who you are. That you are our Messiah, God in human form. That you lived this perfect life that I wouldn't. That you died the death that I should. And that you gave me uh, a life that I didn't deserve. And that you've given that to everyone who's put their trust in you. And Lord, I just pray that uh, we would suffer according to your will. Not according to anything that we would we would put in our own path. Or that we wouldn't try to be martyrs for a cause that isn't. It isn't, isn't in your will or isn't what you want. That we would entrust our souls to you because you're the faithful creator. And that we would continue to do uh, what is good. We'd learn more and more about what that means. And we would be exercising it. We do all those things in your name, Jesus, for the sake of the unity of the body and for the sake of your reputation on earth. That everyone would come to know who you are because of Uh, our love for each other. Then it comes from you first. Pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.